Hey, everybody. It's great to see you, um, but I'm not actually seeing you. You're only seeing me because that's how live stream and YouTube works. This is definitely not the way that I wanted to end the semester, um, but, you know, ASU kind of made that call for us, and uh, the pandemic made that call for ASU. Um, but I hope y'all are all staying safe and uh, guarding yourselves because you're about to go home, you know, for Thanksgiving where you're going to see Grandma, and we don't need to be... Uh, killing grandma with COVID. So uh, let's continue to be wise. But uh, guys, we, we miss seeing you face to face. And it's a bummer that the last Chi Alpha of the semester, before we take this ridiculously long break, right? We're going to be like away from you for like two months and we don't get to see you face to face one last time. And that really stinks. But I mean, that's kind of the card that you're dealt, right? Um, one thing that keeps popping in my head is uh, this quote from Lord of the Rings, right? And uh, Frodo is the dude that has to carry the ring. You know, spoilers if you haven't seen it, um, but it's been out for 20 years. Um, so Frodo has to carry the ring, and, and he turns to Gandalf, and he says, man, I wish this hadn't come to me. I wish I didn't have the ring. And Gandalf says, so do all who see these times. You know, it's only to us to choose what to do with the time that have given us. And so we're choosing to make the best of this time. And this is the best we can do right now. Um, and I hope that you keep that attitude when you go home and things are weird and, you know, maybe there's some family members that have a view on how to handle this thing that's different than yours. Just choose the best way to handle that. You, you can choose how to respond. It's going to be good, though. Um, but, yeah, speaking of Lord of the Rings, there's something about when fall hits, that I just get really nostalgic and I want to watch Lord of the Rings again. And there's only one way to watch Lord of the Rings, and that's the entire trilogy, extended edition, all at once in a marathon, right? So we're talking like 13 hours of your life, but it's worth it. I really encourage you all to do it. And, and it's coming out in 4K UHD. Like they're re-releasing it, remastered. I'm going to buy it for like the fifth time. It's just going to happen. I've already told my wife. It's fine. It'll be all right. It, it's expensive, but it'll be worth it. Um, so, yeah, put that on a shopping list. But anyway, I love Lord of the Rings, right? Um, there's this one one scene quote that kind of is, is pertinent to me, especially right now. And it's uh, one of the characters, Boromir, he picks up the ring after it falls off of Frodo's neck. And he says, it is a strange thing to suffer so much fear and doubt over such a small thing. It's a strange thing to suffer so much fear and doubt over such a small thing. And like, so the ring is like this stupid little thing, right? It's, it's, just, it's literally just a ring. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but it's literally just a ring, right? And it, it's so small and seems so insignificant. It doesn't even look fancy, right? It just looks like a simple ring, but it like destroys the individual that carries it and then it also has this corrupting power to destroy the world around it. And it's just a tiny, dumb little ring, right? And um, I think you can see where I'm going here, but, but a virus is a tiny, dumb little thing, right? COVID is like this stupid little virus, right? It's in the same virus family as like the common cold. You know that thing like you get and you pop a couple aspirin and you're fine? Like it's from that family, right? But over the last like 10 months now, like, it has just flipped the world upside down, you know? I think 
it was first discovered about a year ago now in China, and, and now it's just spread all over the world, and, and we are living through unprecedented times in our lives. I think the next nearest analogy that we have in this time is like the Spanish flu from like 100 years ago, right? But here we are, you know, and, and it's such a small thing. And this small thing just can corrupt the individual, right? And it becomes a big thing. And the craziest thing to me about the coronavirus is, is not that the virus is, like, bad. You know, it, it, it's got a really high survival rate if you're not vulnerable to it. If you're vulnerable to it, it's really bad. But for most of us, it's, it's not a big deal as far as the physical effects. The thing that's blown my lot, mind has been the attitude that is brought out. This thing has been, like, like a sifting right? To show people what their hearts are like. Isn't that crazy? Like, this virus is such a small thing, but it has caused so much strife in our families, our neighborhoods, our nations. It's nuts. It, It really does blow my mind. It's, we are suffering so much, you know? It is strange to suffer so much fear and doubt over such a small thing. But here we are, right? I've heard about families that won't even talk to each other anymore because of masks. It's strange to suffer so much over such a small thing. But here we are, this small thing that has just changed the world, right? And that brings me right to the parable that the Lord put on my heart to share with you. And this is going to be wrapping up our parable series, right? Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Matthew 13. We're going to be reading out of verses 31 to 33. And uh, we're actually, because this is the last one, I wanted to do like a two-for-one deal with, with you, you know? You're getting two parables for the price of one. You're welcome, right? Oh, uh, I forgot to, we'll do that at the end, never mind. I'll do announcements at the end. Um, I'm really good at this, folks. But uh, if you don't have your Bibles and you don't know how to Google, uh, we have it on the screen for you. So I'm going to be reading out, the, out of the NIV translation here. But this is Jesus speaking. It says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, I pray that you would um, speak to us tonight, this last time that we gather for this semester, before we break and take our finals and go home and see family. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us. Holy Spirit, we give you the right and the authority to change our hearts and minds as you see fit. Lord, you're so good and so kind. Thank you for being our king. Amen. So, like I said at the opening of the parable series, I'm saying right now, let's look at the context, right? So, we never want to divorce the word of God from the context of the word of God. So when Jesus is speaking this parable, he's still in Capernaum, or Capernaum, depending on what emphasis on which syllable you put. 
And this isn't Jesus' hometown, it's Peter's hometown, right? So Jesus is actually living in Peter's house right now, right? And so he, he spends a lot of time in Capernaum, hanging out and performing miracles, right? In fact, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was given just down the road from Capernaum out on some random mountain, right? And so uh, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 13, which is the third of the five great discourses that Matthew records. And the third one, this chapter 13 discourse, is kind of unique because it's entirely parables, right? And Matthew points out a couple times that Jesus at this time would only speak to the people in parables. And if you back up to chapter 11, uh, Jesus is talking to the crowds and he's saying, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Capernaum, because if the things that were preached to you had been preached in Sodom or Gomorrah or Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented, but you guys aren't. And so what I think is happening is Jesus is a little bit irritated. He's a little bit frustrated, right? Um, these verses also appear in Luke 13. So if you think about the spiciness graph, right, uh, you could see where Jesus is getting a little bit spicy now, right? He's starting his way to Jerusalem. But that's what I think is happening, is that he's just like, hey, if y'all want to pay attention, you'll pay attention. And I love the parables because it makes you think and it makes you work. They're meant to be prayed about and, and meditated over, right? And so in here, uh, in Matthew 13, we have the mustard seed parable and the parable of the leaven, uh, which is a fancy way of saying yeast, uh, linked, and they are linked together in Luke 13 as well. But the difference is in Luke 13, Jesus starts with saying, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Which is a great question. So, uh, now that we have the context, to what is Jesus comparing the kingdom? Does that make sense? And let's remember, like we said at the beginning, the parables are not about us. They're not about our role in the world. They're not about our role in the kingdom or Jesus's. It's not about the story of us. It's the story of Jesus and his kingdom. So it's about how Jesus and the kingdom fit into the world, his role in the kingdom, and the kingdom's role in our lives. So let's look. So the first one is the parable of the mustard seed, right? And he says the kingdom of heaven is like the smallest of all seeds. Right? And it grows and becomes this big thing. Right? So this seed starts as something small. It's incredibly small. Right? And we know from other contemporary writers, uh, contemporary writers of like the New Testament, that this type of plant grew very quickly and very aggressively. In fact, Pliny the Elder um, took some time to complain about it in his writings, which is crazy because he wrote about the history and the politics of Rome. But he takes a minute to complain about this mustard plant that Jesus is referencing. And he says, once it, has been, once it has been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it. It was this plant that grew aggressively and would take over and, and branch out. And the root system would go far and wide. And, and it would just be there. And no matter what you did, you couldn't get rid of it. Right? So this, this mustard plant would come to dominate the area that it was planted in. And then Jesus, like, he paints a picture of it, showing it as something that gives life, right? It encourages things to flock around it, right? It becomes a life-giving force for the world around it. And he specifically mentions birds of the air nesting in it. And that's a phrase that, 
you know, I'm not 100% on, and, and the biblical scholars that I read about this weren't in agreement, but I think there's something to it, that that phrase is lifted out of Daniel chapter 4, where King Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream about his, his kingdom being a large plant, a tree, where birds come and nest in it. And the kingdom, the, the dream is, is revealed to Daniel in that, that, that tree represents Nebuchadnezzar's multi-ethnic kingdom, that all these people were drawn into it. And I think Jesus is trying to help us see what the vision for the kingdom of God is, is that it starts as something small, like a group of 12 people somewhere in the middle of a desert. But as it grows, it shelters and gives life to the surrounding nations in the world. People are pulled to it and drawn to it. And ideally, when it gets sown into the culture of a country, nation, or people group, it doesn't go away. It's kind of like there's a remnant left, no matter what you do. And then Jesus pulls in another parable right on the back of it, the parable of the leaven. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. So I've been, um, quarantine has, has made me be bored, I'll be honest, you know, like when you got to isolate or not go out as much as you want, uh, you, you find things that fill your time. And so um, me, being one of those people that lived in Europe and won't shut up about it, uh, the thing that I miss the most is the bread. Guys, you don't know what you're missing, right? Here in America, our bread is disgusting. It, it's trash. Like, you know, grab that sandwich bread out of, your, out of your pantry or cabinet or whatever and use it as a sponge because that's all it's good for. Like, the bread we had in Europe was incredible. It was like another level. Like, I would, like, slice off a bit because we go to the baker, baker about once every couple days, so it's always fresh. And all you needed was butter on it. And then you, you take a bite and you're transported to heaven. I mean, it would, like, I heard angels singing. It was amazing, right? The bread was so good. So I'm determined to make bread this good again, right? And so far, I have failed every time, right? It's, it's been really bad. Um, this latest time I failed because it wasn't my fault. Uh, I was letting some bread proof in my oven, and then one of my dear friends, Emily, <clears throat> um, turned the oven on and baked the bread for me and melted plastic into the bread. It was fine. It was fine. Um, it, it just ruined it, and I wasted 24 hours of my life. Not a big deal. On my deathbed, I'll be like, I want that day back, but it'll be fine. But when you're kneading the dough, that's hard work, you know? But, but this leaven idea, the leaven is, is what makes the bread rise, right? When when you slice into bread and you, you see the little pockets of air and, and it's called the crumb, the crumb is real soft and spongy, that's because yeast is producing gluten, right? The protein that makes bread that good, right? That's the part that we love, right? Unless you're like one of those people that's like gluten-free or whatever, then enjoy your joyless life. But without leaven, without the leaven in the bread, it's like eating unsalted saltine crackers. That's what you get, right? It's just paste in its growth, right? But this leaven is what makes the bread bread. And this woman works a little bit. What they would do in that time is every day they would pinch a little bit of that dough off of the daily bread that they would make and set it aside for the next day. And they would keep that yeast alive 
And then the next day, they would have more flour and salt and water, and then take that old bit, mix it in with the new bit, and work it through the whole dough, and repeat every day so that the family would have bread. So this woman is taking the leaven, and she's adding it, and it's it's permeating, and it's penetrating the whole dough. And that's 60 pounds. That's a lot of flour. But it only takes a little bit before it permeates the whole thing. So these two parables are super short, total of three verses. But I think they show us so much about what the kingdom is really like. So what is the kingdom like? To what shall we compare it? Well, the kingdom is like this mustard seed. And the kingdom is like this leaven. And it speaks to two dimensions of our lives. The personal and the external. So the leaven parable is like the individual, right? When, when you get the leaven, the kingdom of God in your life, it, it should permeate and penetrate your whole life. It should knead through all the dough of your being so that the kingdom changes everything about you. You should rise and be elevated to the standard of God's living and not yours, right? The leaven of the kingdom of God should take you from being a bland cracker, no pun intended, to, to something that people enjoy, that's aromatic, that's attractive, right? So your whole life should really be different if you really have the kingdom and the kingdom really has you. There's not a facet of your life that should be the same as you were before. Does that make sense? But it doesn't stop there. Because once the kingdom permeates and penetrates your whole life, once you do the hard work and, and join in the Holy Spirit and discipline and, and working the kingdom through your life, you become like that mustard seed. And you go and you're planted in some soil somewhere. Does that make sense? And Jesus says elsewhere, talking about what the kingdom is like, he says it's like a kernel of wheat that dies, falls to the ground, and becomes a plant. It sprouts and then has more seeds from it. And that's what Jesus is envisioning for you. So it starts with you individually, the kingdom grabbing you. But then your individual life then sprouts and becomes an external expression. So your life is that small seed. You are a small thing. But you can change the world. So the kingdom's hold and an expression on you should be like an outflow in, from your heart into the world. So the kingdom's hold on you and expression through you should outflow from you, from your heart, into the world. And that's what the mustard seed is. Jesus, in, in John chapter 7, he's, he's at one of the great feasts. I think it's the, the Feast of Tabernacles, but I can't remember properly. But he, he stands up on the day of the great feast and he, he, he says very loudly, Let anyone who, thirst, who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's what we're talking about. That's what that mustard seed is. That wherever you go, you take over. You change the environment to something attractive. There's something about what you do when you go there and who you are that never, like, once you're there and planted, you, you attract people to you. People flock to you because it's life-giving. And then something about that area changes and is never changed back. Because once that mustard seed was there, right, it's scarcely possible to be free of it. I say this because if you have encountered and been changed by the most powerful, attractive thing in the universe, Jesus and his kingdom, then you should be changed. And people that encounter you should be changed as well. And if this isn't the case, then have you really encountered the kingdom of God at all? So I just wanted to keep this short and simple because everybody's got finals to study for. So we're wrapping it up. What does this mean for us when we return home? For two months, we're not going to be around each other. For two months, some of us are going to be away from the only Christian presence we've ever had in our life. But I would hope that the leaven of the kingdom has penetrated your heart to such a degree that you can sprout and become a place of refuge for your family. When you get home, you should be different. You should act different. And it should be in such a way, to such a degree, that your families and, your families and friends want to know what happened. When you show up at home, you drop your bags, and then you go and do the dishes. You keep your room clean. You, you love your siblings like you never have before. The principles that we've talked about, about love being an unselfish choice for the highest good of others. Right? Love finds a need and meets it. These principles of the kingdom that we have preached to you over the last semester, these things should be put into action if they really have you. If you have the kingdom and the kingdom has you, then these things can't help but be expressed. So my challenge to you is that when you go home, I hope that you talk less about what a difference God has made in your life, but act more. Does that make sense? Because it's one thing to preach and speak and, and share your heart. But it's another thing when family wants to know why. Because then you have displayed something to them that's attractive. And you've become like that mustard seed. And then you can share the kingdom with your family and watch that leaven work through the dough of your family's life your father's heart, your mother's heart, your brother, your sister. Maybe even some of your friends from high school 
So my prayer for us as Chi Alpha, as we go into the winter break, is that we would be changed, is that we would be different, that the kingdom that we have encountered would have truly changed us. We love you guys. We're going to miss you a lot. Um, I, I want to I let you all know that um, you all really blessed the missionaries that were here last week. I hope if you all missed it, you can still watch it on the YouTube channel, the conversation we had with them. It was incredible. But um, we raised over $5,400 for missions. That's incredible. And you should be proud of that. And I know the Lord is proud of that. And I can't wait to hear testimonies of how some of you that gave so sacrificially, right, how the Lord pays you back for that. I'm excited. But guys, we love you. Go home and be a witness to your family. Go home and love your family well. Show them what the kingdom is like through your life. We love you guys. We'll see you sometime in January.